0: Mark chapter 15, please. Mark chapter 15. Today is the Lord's Supper. We observe this once a season. And I want to combine my preaching with the Lord's Supper. That way we could take some things to seriously remember on the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is one of those series on my Lord's Supper sermon. And God led me to preach this one at Mark chapter 15. Verse 1 through (coughs) 5. Mark chapter 15, we'll look at verse 1. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Look at verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, We're going to read more verses out of this passage later on, but the text talks about the sufferings of Jesus Christ as he was brought before Pontius Pilate. He never answered one time. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I find it intriguing where Jesus Christ didn't say a single word. He didn't say a single word when he was brought up before the accusers. If it was you and I, we'd hire the best lawyers to say as much as we would want them to hear to justify ourselves. Jesus Christ knew that he would die on a bloody cross. So perhaps some people might think that's why he was silent. But you know, in spite of that, that he would know he would die on the cross. There are just some scenarios right here that I just can't help but just give out a word or a few words. But Jesus Christ chose not to talk. And one of the most frustrating things and one of the most uh, horrible things that can happen in life is when Jesus Christ doesn't say a word. It's interesting what comes out due to the silence of the Lamb here. You notice right here, uh, Pilate made a mistake. You notice right here, Pharisees accused him of many things. You notice right here, it stirred up the mob to kill him. You notice right here, it caused his disciples to abandon him. You know, if Jesus said something like he preached many times before in his ministry, perhaps he could have saved some lives or changed some of the events, but he chose not to say a word. It is very interesting how the events play out when our God... Is silent. When you look at the broken body of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the blood that he shed. You have to think at the same time. He did not defend himself. And not only did he not defend himself. His silence caused a huge a huge turmoil. And a lot of bad consequences. A lot of things happen in the silence of our God. And I hope that this sermon will speak to you and that the Lord will speak to you from this silence. The title of my message is, Is God Giving You the Silent Treatment? Let's pray. Father God, this sermon was made up from the Lord's Supper as you led upon my heart. And the past five nights was very hard for me as I tried to make this sermon work. There were times I wanted to change it. There were times I wanted to preach something else. But because it's the Lord's Supper event, perhaps you ordained this message for something. And Lord, I know that in my life uh, I do get this silent treatment. And a lot of things happen. I pray this will be eye-opening, life-changing. Speak To your people today, Lord, through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, My first point is the comment from silence. The comment from silence. We'll look at verses 1 through 2. Verses 1 through 2. The Bible. Points out right here that straightway they delivered Jesus bound to Pilate. And Pilate at verse 2 asked him, art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus Christ said one simple comment. A strange comment. A comment that probably you and I wouldn't make. There were better comments he could have said. But all he said was, thou sayest it. (laughs) Are you the king of the Jews? You said it, bud. (laughs) What a comment to make sarcasm Jesus didn't care so he just said it I beg to differ Jesus Christ every word that he says everything that he does has purpose and intention purpose and intention it's meaningful what he said thou sayest it you know he could have said better words I mean couldn't he have said words in just two sentences that perhaps may have changed Pilate's life forever But he chose not to say those words. He didn't choose to defend himself or to convict Pilate. You know, he could have even just shut his mouth. You know that? I mean, that's what we get out of this whole passage. He was a lamb that was dumb. He didn't say a word during his treatment. But out of this, he just gave a little comment. Thou sayest it. I mean, he could have fulfilled Isaiah 53 by not saying a single word. We know that Jesus Christ was silent throughout this whole time. But we notice sometimes he gave those little smart comments here and there. Brief, small, to the point comments that had purposeful intention. You know, it indicated something to Pilate. You said it. That question you asked. He was leaving it all on Pilate's hands to determine it for himself. When he asked, are you the king of the Jews... You said it. Pilate was on to something. Jesus was indicated, you're right about something. But he wanted Pilate to figure it out for himself. You know, quite often when we're going through the silence with the Lord and Jesus Christ is giving us the silent treatment, and then we ask him, God, what about this? What about that? And then God is silent. God is silent. But there is one remark that always comes out, even though you don't hear it audibly from God. It's all going to be on your hands now. You notice that? Whenever God is silent, He likes to leave things in our hands. He doesn't do anything about it because He wants to see what our reactions and what we will do from the silence. You notice what happened. Pilate's true stuff from the flesh came out because of the silence. If Jesus intervened, if God intervened with lightning from heaven, Pilate would have stopped. But God did not want to do that. He wants everybody to play out their free choice without him dabbling in anything. He wants to see what you will do from your free choice and that it will be all in your hands. What will you do about it? Pilate, we've seen the true intentions of his heart. He feared the people. He yielded to a bloodthirsty mob He was willing to kill an innocent man, even though he didn't want to. And Jesus deliberately did that. From the silence, Pilate's true actions came out. You know what happens? Our true actions come out in the silence. When God never says a word for you or intervenes on your behalf or chastises you and says, stop it, the true actions of your free choice come out. How are things coming out from the silence? You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, you know, I got so much work in my schedule. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like pointing me that Bible reading and prayer, right? I got to read the Bible. I got to pray. But, you know, I know that God's not going to chastise me with this rod. I know that God's not going to look, stare down at me at bed and say, you know, you better read your Bible. No, it's all silent. It's nothing. And then because the Bible is hiding somewhere, when I wake up, I just go to my work and then, you know, brush my teeth, prepare myself, drive through the traffic because, oh man, what a day. And then coffee is the first thing in my mind rather than the Word of God. And then I just go through the motions in the workplace. I want to get my job over with. And then here's lunch break. And then no Bible reading. No prayer time, even though I knew about it from my brothers and sisters in Christ every Wednesday. But it's just that I'm so busy. I need a break. I need that precious time to just relax and then to be able to go through the next hours of the workplace, the second half of the workplace. And then when you're all done with work, then, man, I got to cook the meal and I got to watch over my kids I got to catch up things with my spouse, whether it be my husband or my wife. I got to talk to them. And then the the Lord says, hey, you got to read your Bible. You got to pray. When's the last time you prayed for that brother and sister in Christ? But see, I don't see him audibly or visibly or hear him that audibly. He is silent in my life, so it's so free, and then all I see is just family. All I see is the dinner. All I see is my house, and all I see is that nice TV with the remote control, and the couch looks very comfortable, and I just want to lay down and just do nothing, just do nothing. And then Sunday comes up, and man, who is motivated to go to church? Who is motivated to drive through 45 minutes to get to church? Who does, who does that? Everybody's saying, well, who, who would do that? Why would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. Why would I even do that? But it's not like God is telling me and convicting me, hey, you know you need to get to church. It's not like he's preaching me a sermon. It's so silent. And so I'm by myself. And I have to motivate myself to get into church. And then perhaps I just went through a turmoil in the house. I mean, uh, I'm fighting with the spouse. My children don't listen to me. Or my brother and my sister, I'm fighting with them. Or my parents, there's something bad going on with them. And the house is so much in turmoil. Bills are piling up. I don't know how to pay it off the next day. And then I got a health issue. I mean, I just went through so much busyness and I skipped my Bible reading and prayer because I just don't have time. I'm too busy. You know, I need a vacation. So I just came back from my family vacation. And here am I and then suffering so much. And how can I handle that? I'm too weak. I don't have the health like some of these brothers and sisters in Christ. I cannot serve God. And throughout that whole time, God never laid a chastening rod. God never laid a single sermon to me. All that time, it's just me. Me alone in the dark void. And that's the reason why so many times then I fall back to the same temptation again. Because the temptation is right by my house. I mean, I can just walk over there. The sin is very cheap to buy. I know the people that I shouldn't be contacting, but they're just right there and they can help me. I just need to get rid of this stress and tension I've been through. I mean, just a little bit won't hurt. I mean, just tasting to the same thing is okay. You know, I can, uh, that bottle is hiding in the corner over there, and I can just drink up that alcohol. You know, that cigarette is hiding over there where other people don't see, and I can just pick it up and go secretly outside and then just pop a smoke. You know, all that stuff that I have in my electronics, devices that people don't know about. I can just watch those things again in my private time and hear those things in my private time. And out of that whole time, Jesus Christ never said stop. Out of that whole time, Jesus Christ never presented himself to me and said, you know what's going to happen to you. I mean, it's just so easy to just fall into sin. I don't have my... I don't have the Lord to motivate, to encourage me to serve God. Here am I in church. I'm clean. I'm not sinning. I'm serving God. I'm not neglecting the work of the Lord. Why? Because there is no silence here. But in the dark void of silence, I'm by myself and all alone. And I just skip my spiritual duty over and over again. I mess up in the same sin over and over again. And I'm suffering something so much, but no one is helping me out here. That's what happens in the silence. My second point, the clamor from silence. The clamor from silence. If we look at verses 3 through 5, notice right here that a huge clamor came out. The chief priests, they were accusing him of many things, but Jesus Christ never answered a word. You know, Jesus Christ, he could have shut up every single accusation. Didn't you know that? No matter how great those chief priests could have accused him with, Jesus Christ knew what to shut them up. Didn't we know about that passage at Matthew chapter 22, verse 41 through 46, for example, where Jesus Christ uh, answered their question, and the Bible says, no man durst ask him a question from that day forward. You know, Jesus Christ knew how to shut them up. They said, oh, who, who sent you? Who do you think you're from? And then Jesus Christ said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Weird question. And the Pharisee says, we can't say a word. We won't say a thing. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you anything either then. See, Jesus knew how to shut them up. But Jesus Christ, he didn't. And the result, what is the result when Jesus does not say a word? The Bible says, many accusations. Many accusations. When Jesus Christ is silent in your life, the result guarantee is many accusations. You know, isn't life too hard to serve God? I mean, you've given it your all, and, you know, God don't seem to appreciate you. People don't seem to appreciate you. And, you know, there's no one over there to help you out. In the silence of the sufferings, depression always floods in my mind. You know, uh, when I look at those bills, every time I just want to hide those bills, I pretend that the mailbox is empty all the time, but it's always there. And then those accusing voices comes out, fear. You know, what's going to happen to you tomorrow? Look at your savings, you don't have enough. How, How are you going to take care of your kids? You know, you, you told your spouse, you told your everything's going to be okay. You know it's not going to be okay. Yeah, when things go on, even in the church, using voices comes out, you know, so-and-so don't really care about you. So-and-so don't really love you. You know, brother and sister, so-and-so, why do they do that thing against you? Don't you deserve recompense? You know, you have a right to be bitter and upset. Worst thing is, God don't seem to care. God don't seem to help you out right here. And then you become atheist. Many accusations come up, Mr. Depression, Mr. Fear, Mr. Paranoia, Mrs. Bitterness, Mrs. Envy, Mrs. Lust. All these accusing voices, many accusations come out. When God is silent. You know what you see today in our world? Too much clamor. Too many voices accusing you, your life, beating you down, taking away your joy, making God unreal, making life not worth living, making everything so horrible, accusing voices. Sin is everywhere. Unhappiness is everywhere. Suicide is growing faster than ever before. People being diagnosed with depression, if there is such a thing, constantly build up in the clientele More than ever before. Because God is silent. Many accusations arise when God is silent. You know, when Jesus is silent... What if Pilate, you ever thought about this? What if Pilate realized that Jesus is silent, he's not going to defend himself? And he didn't like those chief priests, what they accused him with, which he didn't. He didn't. All he could have said was, shut up, get out. And he could have kicked them out. He could have separated himself from that. He could have said, I don't want to hear it, get out of here. What would have happened? You ever thought about what would happen if Pilate just kicked out the chief priest and got rid of those accusations? Perhaps he might have had some one-on-one time finally with Jesus. Perhaps Jesus Christ may have given him some more things to hear and to think about and not give him the silent treatment. Perhaps Pilate, since he didn't hear those accusations anymore... He would stop and think. He would have time to think now in the silence. He would have time to think and ponder, you know, Jesus really bothered me. wonder what is it to him. Perhaps Pilate may have gotten saved. You ever thought about that? If he did not crucify the Messiah, and such an event like that where he decided not to crucify the Messiah would get him so curious that he starts searching. And perhaps maybe listen. And perhaps maybe even get saved. What if Pilate never crucified Jesus? Could have been probably the first Roman governor to be a Christian. Perhaps he may have written one of the books of the Bible. You never know. Perhaps Pilate could have been one who gave his life for Jesus Christ. Gave up, sacrificed, pagan Rome... For the name of Jesus. Perhaps Pilate would have heard the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat of Christ. What if Pilate shut out the accusations? I always wonder. What if, my friend, God is silent to you? You told all those accusers, depression, misery, fear, Bitterness, covetousness, your secret sin. Get out of here. I don't want to hear a word from you. I refuse to hear you out. I shun it. You separate yourself from that. I wonder what would have happened to you. Perhaps then you could have had some more one-on-one time with the Lord. Perhaps your heart would be more softened. And you could see God's work at play rather than paying attention to all that clamor, finally, since the clamor's gone. Perhaps you would have had the strength to motivate yourself to read that book and pray this time, now that those accusations are gone out of your head and heart. Perhaps you would have had the strength to motivate yourself to read the Bible, pray. Perhaps there would be joy in your heart. You wouldn't be sapped. Perhaps you would have attended the fellowship The meeting with the brethren, the soul winning, that church service that could restore your energy. Perhaps you want to have skipped church that day. Perhaps you could have led a loved one to salvation after that because they saw your testimony, how the Lord pulled you through. Perhaps no matter how great the suffering is in the midst of silence, they could have saw your testimony And you give your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps if you shut out those accusations and voices, you would have heard the words from God, well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat of Christ. Verses 15 through 20, the contentment from silence. The contentment from silence. Notice, it's amazing, if you were Pilate, can you do this? Verse 15, see Jesus scourged. Verse 16, led to a hall, praetorium, where he he would receive his death sentence. 17, be gushed the crown of thorns on his heads. Verse 18, be mocked by the soldiers. Verse 19, beaten with the reed and spat upon. Verse 20, they just make a mockery of his deity. Take away his self-esteem. If it was an innocent man right in front of you, do you have the heart? How can you be comfortable seeing an innocent man whipped, scourged with a cat of 9 tails And that cat-o'-nine-tails rips up the flesh in half and muscles are torn apart and arteries sliced wide open. Imagine you were the one that gave that sentence. Imagine if you were Pilate pilot that said, let him be beaten, let him be whipped. How can you be comfortable with that? No way, right? Wouldn't you go through sleepless nights remembering that you were the one that gave the order where the soldiers can gush the crown of thorns on Jesus' head? And those eyes are looking at you with such compassion and pity. And then the blood streams down his head as he is writhing in pain. How can one be comfortable when those spikes are thrust through his hands and his feet and he's hung naked? And all the people mock and make fun of an innocent man that you said, let him be crucified. Your conscience feel comfortable with that? I don't think so. I think not. If you were a pilot, there is no way you would do something like that. No one can ever have the heart to do that to an innocent man. Would you? It's amazing what Pilate was willing to go through. For what? Verse 15, willing to content the people. All of that for willing to content the people. Verse 15, scourged. Willing to content the people. Verse 17, gushed the crown of thorns. Why? Willing to content the people. Verse 18, mocked because of willing to content the people. Verse 19, beaten with the reed. Why? Because willing to content the people. I find it interesting that in the Bible, when the Bible mentions about people, it calls it one word, Flesh. You ever read the book of Genesis chapter 7 about Noah? And all flesh died. Whenever the Bible says people, it replaces the word with flesh. Amazing what you're willing to go through when you're willing to content the flesh. It's amazing what you can go through with sleeping comfortably every night when you're willing to content the flesh. My friend, didn't you know you are that Roman soldier? You may not have physically beaten him, but you got to realize Jesus did not have to go through that if it weren't for your sins. See, Jesus Christ was whipped, beaten, nailed. You know that. I don't have to tell you that because of your sins. Your sins put him there through that bloody mess. It's because of you. Your sins caused him to go through such awful suffering. He died for past present and future. Knowing the future sins some of you will commit after the service is over. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to be beaten for that. How can one go through night after night sleeping so comfortably knowing that he was the one, he or she was the one who gushed the crown of thorns on Jesus' head? Why? Willing to content the flesh all because of willing to content the flesh. Amazing how you can keep falling back into sin and beat up Jesus Christ all because of willing to content my craving flesh. Amazing that you would neglect your service, skip that spiritual duty for God, and let Jesus Christ be tortured in half, torn apart, Just because willing to content the flesh that's so tense, that don't have time, it's too tired. It's amazing how many people would bail out on church, bail out on the Lord, and not have a compassion for souls burning in hell for eternity that they wouldn't have the courage to pass out just one little track or attend one soul winning event because of willing to content the flesh. It's amazing what strides people will go through because of willing to content the flesh. You know why you can live every day without your conscience bothering you? Knowing about the Lord's Supper, Jesus' broken body, His blood that He shed, and you can still be comfortable sitting here and that don't bother you, that you are the one that did all this to Him. See this? You know why we have this memory, this remembrance? Because of you. You are the reason why we have to have this. All because you all were willing to content the flesh. My, what I want to mention is Jesus Christ, as he went through that awful beating for our sins, all because you're willing to content the flesh, Did you notice how this all happened? Because he was silent. When Jesus Christ is silent, the dark parts come out, the true stuff come out of your flesh and your mind and heart. All in all, what you will realize is, all I wanted to do was to content my flesh. That's what it all comes down to when Jesus Christ is silent. Why? Because, number one, God is not putting you under pressure with intervening. He's not saying, I'm going to, hey, you see this uh, chastening rod? It's going to hammer you. You see that? You're not scared of that? No, it's because of that. It's silent. That's why we're willing to content the flesh. You know why? You're able to beat Jesus Christ with a cat on nine tails, nail him on a cross naked without your heart moved or bothered? Because... His cries are silent. His tears are silent. As he's so much in agony, writhing in pain, it's silent. That's why you can keep beating him up. You don't hear him crying. You don't hear him yelping. You don't hear him saying, it hurts so much. Why are you doing this to me? Don't you know I just love you? And I just want to help you. Why can't you just yield to my spirit? You don't hear that. As he's in agony and in pain, his silence makes you willing to content the flesh. My fourth point is the circumstances from silence. The circumstances from silence. In verses 25 through 32, you'll notice right here that After Christ was hurt and tortured and beaten, and he didn't say a word, during his silent moment as he was undergoing torture and pain, there are three participants you can notice. Who are those three participants? Well, the first one is verse 26. Notice this participant said good things about Jesus Christ. This is the king of the Jews, but didn't do anything to change his life. You know, after Jesus Christ is bloodied up and beaten, you know what you do during the silence of Christ? Jesus Christ died for my sins. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible believer. Yeah, that was good preaching. It it helped me change my life. You say good things, but you don't really do anything about it. All you do is, like Pilate, say good things. This is the king of the Jews. Thank you for the good preaching oh, uh, you're right, pastor. You know, the word of God is true. I got to get some things changed then. That's all you do. You just say good things. The second participant that I notice is verse 27. Verse 27. Thieves crucified on the right and the left hand of Jesus Christ and they're fulfilling scripture right here. But they're (laughs) they're not helping Jesus Christ out of their own free will here even though the scriptures are being fulfilled. They just see Jesus carrying a cross like them, being crucified next to them. No word, no word spoken right here. Second group of participants you notice, they just don't care and do nothing. They just don't care and do nothing. You know, during the silence of Christ, after, he's, after you've tortured and you've beaten him, you know, are you that participant who just don't care and do nothing? You know, I just come to church, what? I just come. I don't care. Oh, good, I've heard souls got saved, but, you know, I don't... So what? They just go with the flow. They're not interested. That's why younger generations are not interested in Christianity serving God or church. Why? You're, those, you're like those thieves. After Jesus Christ is whipped, torn apart, executed, beaten, nailed to a cross... Just don't care. You do nothing about it. You just do what the world does. They don't care. Third group of participants is verse 29 through 32. 29 through 32. Uh, Notice right here that the third group of participants is people who try to find contradictions with what Jesus preached to them in his ministry, and then they mock him for it. When Jesus Christ suffers so much, is nailed to a cross because of your sins, in the midst of the silent, the third group of participants, I wonder if it's you, is the one who tries to find his words that would contradict with your situation at hand. You notice that's what these people did. At the situation at hand, Jesus couldn't save himself, he couldn't rescue himself, and those people mocked Jesus Christ and remembered the words he preached and tried to use them to contradict what was going on currently with the situation at hand. Are you that type of person? You know, God said he would provide my needs, but I don't see anything like that. And are you that person who's looking at the situation at hand and finding his words to contradict with it? You know, I heard that sin would have a price. I would reap what I sow, but I'm enjoying a good time. I don't, uh, you know, that preacher's full of himself. You know, I mean, the Bible, I mean, God mentioned this. Come on, so what? Are you trying to look at the situation at hand and make it contradict what God said? That's what happens in the silence of our suffering Christ is people focus on situations that contradict God's words. Are you that person? But didn't you know that from these passages, from 26 through 32, there is a fourth participant? You might say, Pastor, you covered all the participants right here. I don't see anyone. Uh, You covered every single area. There's no one. Who's the fourth participant? Well, take a look. Look carefully. I wonder if you can guess who the fourth participant would be. He's actually... Not, up, uh, not in this scenario, but being played out. The scriptures, verse 28. The scripture was fulfilled. You know, during the silence of Christ, there is always another participant, even though you don't think he's part of the situation, the scenario going on. And that is the Word of God. You know, the scriptures cannot be broken. You know, no matter how bad things were during the silence of Christ, the scriptures never got broken. No matter how bad the torture Jesus Christ had undergone, the scripture was never broken. My friend, I want to tell you this. Even though in the midst of that silence, Jesus Christ is beaten, whipped, tortured. And you may be one of those participants who let him down. I want to tell you something there is another participant at play and that is the word of God. And it can never be broken. My friend, I want to encourage you that no matter how bad things are going through in life or how much you let God down or how much of a failure you are, how much you've beaten up Jesus Christ, you can never break the scriptures and it will always be true. The scripture says there is cleansing blood for forgiveness if you would just confess. No matter how bad you are, the scripture cannot be broken and it's proven true. No matter how many times Sometimes you fail God and made a mistake and you feel like that you can't turn back the clock remember this the scriptures cannot be broken with Romans 8:28, and God can work it for good you know no matter how many times that you felt like that you're too weak that you never have the strength the situation is hopeless what can be provided what who can provide the situation the scriptures cannot be broken and the Bible says my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus it don't matter about your feelings, it doesn't matter what you think, and it doesn't matter even if you can prove me wrong, you cannot break the scriptures and God's promises will still undergo in your life. God. No matter how the circumstances come out, the scripture cannot be broken when God says to his child who may be a Laodicean, I love you. You can be bitter, you can be mad at God, you can be upset at Him. Won't change His promise to you. I love you. The scriptures cannot be broken. My last point, the cry from silence. The cry from silence. Verses 33 through 39, you'll notice right here that Jesus Christ gave a cry from his silent sufferings. He cried out in verse 34, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried out in verse 37, Perhaps it was, It is finished. But that's what converted the centurion at verse 39. That's what in verse 36 softened the person's heart to give him a sponge full of vinegar to drink. Jesus Christ is the greatest preacher that you'll ever hear, correct? He could probably fill up the altar calls so easily. But you notice in his three and a half years of ministry, he cannot change or reach the hearts of these people. But isn't it interesting that his silence of suffering yeah. was what finally reached the heart of these particular individuals where they could say, truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus didn't give a three-point outline. Jesus Christ didn't pull up a a last-minute illustration, tear-jerking illustration. He didn't pull up a George Whitfield sermon. It was just a silent suffering. That reached the heart. That reached the heart. The Bible says that actually we all share in that power. We all share the silent sufferings of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You know, I don't mean this in a blasphemous way, but it's actually very true if you look at people's lives. Sometimes the Bible don't change and reach people's hearts. No matter how much you street preach or read to them. To them it's just foreign because they're dead in the Spirit. Sometimes your preaching won't move a person or reach the person's heart. It'll just offend them, they'll turn them away. But it's your silent suffering that they notice how you kept it all in, how the Lord blessed your life and used you, how you maintained your testimony. No matter how bad it was in life, you always maintained the joy of the Lord that reached them. It was your testimony, wasn't it? Sometimes your suffering is the one that can reach the person. Think, think about, uh, man, I always mess up and skip my Bible reading prayer, church attendance, so winning, I'm such a failure. But I see that brother, sister, so-and-so, who hasn't been to church as much either, right? I'm not the only one who skipped the church service here and there. There's that brother and sister, so-and-so there. And look, they... Look how they're contributing, helping out the church. Look how God blessed their life. See that person who's suffering, dialysis, cancer, dragging himself or herself to church and to witness to a soul. It would get that person to read his or her Bible after that. It would get that person to say, that reached me, that reached me. I'm going to go out soul it. You know, you saw that person who quoted all of Psalm 119, and this was a real case at the Roloff home. And Lester Roloff gave that person uh, his own Bible. And that person who quoted all Psalm 119, he was a heroin addict. Wow. Those people who fall into the same usual temptations, right? The same sins, when they see the suffering of that person, what that person overcame, they're like, you know, I think it's time that I start memorizing the scripture. I think it's time to encourage myself. I can kick this, I can beat it. I failed over and over again, but, you know, if God can use that person, God can use me too. You know, it is those uh, hundreds of Christian men and women might be taking care of a ministry and they had very few numbered people they've been betrayed they went through splits and they went through tears and hardship and here you are discouraged with your own suffering but when you talk to that discouraged Christian who went through something similar or worse than you you go you know it's, it's reaching my heart you reached me you reached me Thank you. You know, this preaching may not have reached you. And that's okay. That's okay. Who is Jean Kim anyway, right? Just a blunt instrument. This preaching may not have reached you. But have you thought of that brother and sister in Christ who went through something similar like you? Who is suffering something. And how that person is still in church. Still dragging himself or herself to fellowship with the brethren to be with them. Still trying to, look, I'm going to come to the altar the thousandth time again. And go back and fight my sin again. You ever saw that uh, discouraged brother and sister in Christ whose testimony or whose story you know that is in a dark place, but they're not giving up and they're surviving? Doesn't that make you want to read that book this time? Make you want to, you know what? Maybe I can... These things I'm going through, they're little. They're little. This preaching may not reach your heart. I may never reach your heart, no matter how great I preach to you. But can you hear the cries of your suffering brother and sister in Christ? What they've contributed to, what they've done, does that reach your heart? Think of that brother and sister in Christ. Will you please think about that brother and sister in Christ? And think about what they're going through. What they've undergone to help you. What they're gritting their teeth to minister to you. Too much we look at ourselves and you have to look at the others here who are just suffering. Hey, you're not the only one being attacked by Satan. So is that brother and sister around you. You're not the only one having a bad day. So is that brother and sister next to you. You're not the only one with financial trouble, health trouble, house problems, family problems, uh, mental problems, church problems, and other problems. There's a brother and sister in Christ. There are brothers and sisters in Christ with you. Do they reach your heart, or do they not speak to you? Do you silence their cries like you've done with Jesus Christ? Do their Cries reach you. Is it reaching you now? Is their cry reaching you now? Let it reach you. Every bow and every eye shut. Is it reaching you? Forget what I preach. You don't have to uh, forget what I preach. What about the cry? What about the cry of your brother and sister in Christ? What about their cry? What they're going through? What they suffered? So that you can come to church today. What they prayed. What they gave an offering what they've done for this meeting, what they've done to help you, are they reaching you? Do, does their cry reach you? A pastor don't just preach this sermon because he has a luxury, because everything's good, because he undergone something bad too, something horrible as well. It doesn't have to be my preaching, but at least my intention, my suffering. Did it reach you? Did it reach you? How much more did Jesus Christ suffer for all of us? Does his suffering reach you? We want to give you this time to confess your sins and rededicate your lives to the Lord. As we partake in the Lord's Supper together, it's important that your sins are confessed and covered under the blood so that the bread and the juice that we partake can be taken in more seriously, more freely. Please confess it now, take this time confess some things on the altar perhaps some of you you just need to be reached you just need to be reached this church didn't come out like this people didn't come here just like this it's a culmination of brothers and sisters of their sweat their tears their suffering what they went through in their homes in their private lives in the darkness of their bedroom that you and I don't know about is what culminated to this church meeting today that's our fruit that's how we can support campaigns for Christ that's how I can preach to you this message that's how we got this building that's why we were able to get a full house it's because of people who went through the cries of suffering and it brought this fruit does that reach you does that reach you They've done this to minister to you. They've done this to help you. You do not want to take that for granted. Like a spoiled American, we take everything for granted. And we don't know the tears, the sweat, the pain that they have undergone to give us this day. This very moment. This altar call. Let it reach you. Let their cry. Let the cry of their suffering reach you. Let the cry of Jesus Christ reach your heart. Let His cry reach your heart. Let us truly observe the Lord's Supper today. Let us truly ponder on His suffering. Let His cry reach our hearts. As we take that unleavened bread and it's broken, let's think about the cry of His suffering as we drink that grape juice and think about His blood, His precious blood He shed, let's think about the cries of suffering that He gave. Do you hear God from the silence now? Has His silence reached you? We crave so much of His word, His word to speak to us. But sometimes His silence is the thing that can really reach you, reach you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that the scriptures cannot be broken no matter how long the silent night will be. Lord, your scriptures will prove true no matter what. I pray that we have heard your cry. We have heard other people's cry. And it made us get off of ourselves. It encouraged and healed our hearts, and it just applied some medicine to our pains, to our wounds. Help us to hear their cries, Lord. May it may it reach us. I pray it reached us in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. All right, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, and the passage will be found at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll just go ahead and. Explain the passage here. But verses 23 through 31 is where we observe the Lord's Supper. The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." In this passage that I have read is a classic text that explains everything you need about the Lord's Supper. I would like to ask Brother Sean and Brother Joseph to come forward to be our ushers. The meaning of the Lord's Supper is to simply observe his death, to remember his death. The body pictures, the bread pictures the body. The grape juice pictures his blood. It's important to understand we do not believe in the Catholic Eucharist in any way or form. This is not his physical flesh and blood. This is not his physical uh, blood. This is, we must understand, just a picture. A picture. If you don't understand that, I, I guarantee you this, your child understands that. Your child understands what they're going to eat is going to go down in the toilet after that. So it is not something where you think it is literally the body and blood of Jesus. Everyone should know that by common sense. It is a picture, however. It also is practiced till he comes again. We do this until he comes for us one day and takes us up to heaven. And Jesus said, this do oft as he drink it until I come. Until he comes for us. The requirement for this Lord's Supper is that you have to be saved. And we also believe in this church that you have to be water baptized. So it is important that you are saved, that you got baptized in this church so that you can partake in this Lord's Supper. Uh, The verses for it, you can ask me later on if you have questions on that. But it's important that if you have not gotten saved first, then water baptized, Please remember this, if you got genuine real salvation first, alright, and then you got properly water baptized by immersion after that, you may partake in this. But if you did not, we ask that you forego this, you do not take this with us, because we take the Lord's Supper seriously. It is actually very serious that people can die if they don't take this properly. People can get sick, because that's what the Bible said from the passages that we read, So it's important that you confess your sins. So if there's any sins that you did not confess, which is why we had altar call earlier, if you confess your sins properly, then you can partake in the Lord's Supper rightly. We also make sure to give thanks as we observe the Lord's Supper. The Bible says Jesus gave thanks when he partook in it. So that's why we're going to have our usher give thanks to the Lord. So I would like to ask Brother Sean to open up uh, the body and uh, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ through the unleavened bread. Uh, If you can give a prayer of thanks concerning that and make it brief, please. Father,
1: thank you so much, Lord, for giving us a greater miracle than the children of Israel had in the wilderness. Amen. That's good, brother. Amen. Bread, the bread of life. Who, uh, if anyone who hungers comes to you and takes of that bread, he shall not hunger again. And I thank you so much, Lord. I was starving. Yes. I was confused. I was on my way to hell. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, and it wasn't until that day that I finally tasted of that true bread from heaven, and I saw how good you are, Lord. And I've been fed ever since, Lord God. Thank you so much for giving us the truth for Amen. breaking your body so that Amen. we could have life. Amen. Um, and, and giving us a way to where we could go to heaven. Uh, and, and please, Lord God, just uh, ha- have us to remember not just this bread that you did for us, but remember to give it to other people. Yes. Lord, to tell them about this bread, Lord, until you come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. and straightway in the morning the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate Pilate asked him art thou the king of the Jews and he answering said unto him thou sayest it and the chief priest accused him of many things but he answered nothing and Pilate asked him again saying answerest thou nothing behold how many things they witness against thee But Jesus yet answered, nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, And delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorian. And they called together the whole band. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24... And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. You may now all eat the unleavened bread, which pictures the body of our Lord. I would like to ask Brother Joseph to give a very brief prayer on the grape juice that pictures the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ.
2: O most gracious, merciful, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful worship service, Lord. We thank you that we can partake of communion as often as we can, Lord God, in remembrance of what you have done. We thank you for your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that we can be partakers of the divine nature as life is in the blood. We thank you that we can be in your presence uh, complete and clean and right because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Because we are covered by his blood. It is Jesus who you see in us. Mm -hmm, we came for it all and we just need to believe you and have faith and trust in the blood of Jesus that can save us and bring us to where you are and be with you throughout eternity so may we experience Lord this time as you have commanded us and we thank you for this juice that represents your blood Yes. we honor you for what you have done and we love you for everything we thank you in Jesus' name Amen. Amen.
0: And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshiped him and when they had mocked him they took off the purple from him and put his clothes on him and led him out to crucify him let christ the king of israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe and they that were crucified with him reviled reviled him And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple. And buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross." Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth Elias. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27 through 29, and he took the cup and gave thanks And he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I will say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You may now all drink the new wine that pictures the blood of our Savior. I would like to ask the ushers to collect the cups. The rest of you, if you'll take out your blue hymnal, please, to 289, 289, page 289. This is the first time this church will sing this song. Some of you know this song, it's a famous hymn, others may not, so we will sing it to the best of our ability, page 289, in your blue hymnal, O sacred head now wounded, The Bible says in Matthew chapter twenty-six, verse thirty. After they did this, they sung a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. I would like to also conclude the same with the Lord's Supper by singing a hymn. Let us all turn to page two hundred eighty-nine in the blue hymnal. Follow along as best as you can. Here we go.
3: Oh. Acred head now wounded with grief and shame, weighed down. Now scornfully surrounded with thorns, I know. Holy crown, oh sacred head, what glory! What bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised that glory, I joy to call thee mine. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, Save to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity with Ahudin? Oh, make me thine for hither, and should I fainting be. Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee.